often imitated, never duplicated. This is Novel Marketing, <laughs> the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. And I am James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. And I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And you can call me Mr. Umstead. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to price your ebook. At Thomas, this is one of those episodes that I feel like we should have done, I don't know, 100 episodes ago, and we, we've never done it. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to dive into this because it's, it's a question that I get a lot from people, and people seem to always be asking it. And as we'll talk later in the episode about, it is a fluid subject. This is a talk we could give or an episode we could give you know, two weeks from now or a month from now, and things probably will have changed a little bit. But what we want to do is lay down some broad brushstrokes on ebook pricing, and then we'll get into some of the minutiae, some of the details, so you can be just much better informed when you decide what to price your ebook. And our goal here is to help you understand uh, the fundamentals behind pricing. So this is an official Book Marketing 101 episode because pricing happens to be one of the four or five <laughs> P's of marketing. It's pretty fundamental. <laughs> it's very, very fundamental. And once you're done with this episode, you're going to understand the philosophy of pricing so that as the market changes you'll know how to change with the market. So this is not a make your book $4.99. That is the ideal ebook price episode. <laughs> We're going to help you have a much more fundamental uh, understanding than that. Yeah, you are going to have to learn to, th you're going to have to think a little bit and, and work on this a little bit on your own, but that's good. That's good. This is such a fundamental pillar, as Thomas just said, that you need to be able to do this on an ongoing basis for yourself. So the short answer um is all ebook pricing is an ongoing, never-ending experiment. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But the long answer is a little bit longer. So, Thomas, let's dive right into it. Yeah, so pricing, we're going straight to 101 right here, Marketing 101. Pricing is driven by supply and demand. Uh, those two things pull against each other in helping to determine the price of a product. And this is true for petroleum, it's true for milk at the grocery store, and it is true for books. Now, when it comes to uh, supply and demand, there is this concept of elastic prices versus non-elastic prices. And these are, uh, w when the price is elastic or not, uh, the amount of uh, demand doesn't change very much based off of the price. Uh, so the classic example of a non-elastic uh, price is electricity, right? You're going to use more or less the same electricity regardless of what the cost of electricity is. Maybe if uh, prices go way up, you may turn off some light switches more often, but your refrigerator is going to keep running, right? Most of the things that use electricity are going to keep using electricity. And the parallel in the book space, because there are books that are very inelastic in terms of demand, is textbooks, right? If you are taking a college class, you are required to buy the textbook. And um, the price of the textbook doesn't determine how many copies sell very closely. It's relatively inelastic, which is why textbooks can cost $100, $200, $300. I think in one of my classes, I spent $350 on oh a textbook. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Gal, I thought my record, I think, was 125, and I thought that was exorbitant. So way to go, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, well, for some comparison, my dad spent $400 on a semester of school. <laughs> That's how much uh, college prices have gone up. And I went to college oh, 
over 10 years ago. Um, and an example of a super elastic price, it would be uh, like, or elastic demand would be like genre fiction, right? Where somebody's reading a whole bunch of books in a specific genre and they are wanting the cheapest uh, possible read in general. And, you know, you may be asking, well, how do I become less elastic? How can I create inelastic demand for my books so that I can charge more? And the answer very simply is to build a strong brand, right? For me, my demand for Brandon Sanderson books is relatively inelastic. He would have to charge a lot of money for me to not want to read his next book because I'm a really big fan of his um, writing, which is why you see top-named authors, big-name authors, charge a whole lot more for their books because of the brand. They're not exchangeable. If you're a Stephen King fan and you want specifically Stephen King, it's not like, oh, well, I can get this other author author for $5 less for the book. It's like, no, I have to have the Stephen King book. And so they're willing to pay more. Uh, This isn't the branding episode, though. We are going to be talking about branding in some upcoming episodes and how you can build that strong brand. Uh, But for right now, let's assume you are not Stephen King. But Stephen, Stephen, if you're listening, well, thanks for joining us. We love it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big fan of your book on writing. Um, but uh, we're going to assume that you are playing the pricing game along with all of the other ebook sellers, and we're going to give you some kind of tactics. But I want to give you a few more fundamentals, and that is, uh, in general, higher prices lead to lower unit sales, and lower prices lead to higher unit sales especially in an elastic uh, demand market. And there is actually a scientific sweet spot (laughs) that you can find where you're getting maximum profit. Sometimes if your price is too high, lowering the price actually makes you more money because the number of sales, unit sales goes up so much more than what you lose by lowering the price. In other instances, raising the price makes you money because you don't take much of a hit. Uh, In fact, I've talked with a lot of authors who have experienced this where, uh, you know, they were priced at two ninety nine, they raised their prices to three ninety nine, and they saw almost no fall in demand. And suddenly they were making a whole lot more money uh, because of, uh, you know, they weren't spending any more on advertising and it's just their, their whole margins got a lot better. Uh, so you may be wondering, what is the sweet spot for my book? And the answer is, it depends. <laughs> it depends on your book <laughs> and it depends on your uh genre. But there's a more fundamental question, actually, because a lot of authors aren't trying to maximize profits. Uh, what's Jim, what's the most fundamental question we have to ask when we're, we're talking about pricing? Yeah, the base question is, what is your objective? We have to go to that first, because the goal for all authors is, is not necessarily to maximize profits. So you have to ask yourself, is your goal to sell a lot of books? Or is it to make a lot of money? the approach is going to be different based on how you answer that question. So the first one is sell lots of books. Some of you are saying, I I just want to sell lots of books. This is where most people are at when you're in the start to the middle of your career. What you're trying to do is get books in as many hands as possible. This harkens back to our pirating issue where we said your biggest problem is not people pirating your work, it's ignorance. So people who pirate your work and get it out there That is a good thing because you are exposed to more people, the more people can buy your book. And we'll have a link in the show notes back to the, that is that episode. If you haven't listened to it, the other thing is what more sales does when you're starting out is, is it makes Amazon smarter. They know who's going to buy your book 
And guess what? They want to sell as many books to as many people as possible. So consequently, they start helping you. And you've had this happen where you get an email which says, Jim, we thought you might enjoy this book by such and such. And that's based on the other books I uh, have purchased. Plus, it's based on reviews. So the more traction you start to get, the more exposure you start to get through selling a lot of books that is going to be a big boost to your career. You'll rise higher on the charts. You'll get more email subscribers. And so with that kind of a model, Thomas, what kind of, where would you suggest people price their books? So for it, it really depends on your genre. I'm going to say uh, this is really, really important. And you all need to hear this because a lot of the people who teach pricing assume that you're writing romance or they assume that you're writing science fiction because uh, that's what they write. And they are making recommendations based off of that genre because you can even go to quote unquote free, right? If you're in Kindle Unlimited, people can read your book for free and you're still getting compensated because they're paying for that in a subscription. And so you have a lot of flexibility on your pricing, but there is a kind of window that I recommend most authors stay inside of, and that is the 70% royalty window. So uh, Amazon, uh, between $299 and $999 ebook price, gives you 70% royalty on your book. Uh, if you're independently published, uh, traditional publishers have more complicated arrangements with Amazon. Uh, but I'm going to assume uh, f that you're independently publishing or you are a small publisher. because we have a lot of publishers who listen to this show. And uh, that 70% royalty is where your profits are. Because when it drops, it doesn't drop you down to 50%. It drops you down to, I think, 30%. It's it's 35. I think it drops you down to 35 when you're under that 299. Okay. So that's a significant drop. And which means that you're making yeah. less money on a book that's 1099 than you are on the same book that's 999, which is why you'll almost never see books priced at 1099 by anything other than the really big publishers. Sometimes you'll see the books priced that way, which tells you they don't have that same price breakdown. And I think Amazon negotiated different deals with the different publishers. So different publishers have different, and it's all secret. I don't, if it's known, it is not known to me on that. Uh, so in general, uh, I recommend that you always keep your price in that 70% royalty window, uh, unless you're doing like a short-term promo. Well, and that's the thing. I'll push back on you and say statistics over time, and these are always changing. This is a very fluid topic. But over time, the 99-cent copies will sell authors, especially beginning authors, will sell usually twice as many copies at one at 99 as they as they do at any other price point. And so if you're just starting out and trying to get books in hands of readers, that 99 cent price point can be really important and it can be a good marketing strategy, but not long term. So that's that would be my position on it. Or you can go all the way and have the book free for a time. I was uh, doing some consulting with an author and I was looking at one of his books and he had 700 reviews. And I was like, gosh, how many, how'd you get 700 reviews? This is a lot of reviews. And he's like, oh, well, my book was free for three years on Amazon. And that's what happens when you're perma-free for a long time. You get a lot of reviews. And, you know, that's the kind of, you know, reviews you see on a you know, really popular New York Times bestseller. <laughs> like that 700 reviews is is very generous. And uh, he got there by being free for a long time on book one of his series, right? So another thing that impacts this is what is your um, 
what's the context this book comes out in. So if it's, this is your only book, selling it 99 cents may make more sense and can be away for free. Whereas if it's book one of seven, maybe give that book away for free. Uh, you know, permafree was a really popular strategy several years ago. And a lot of people are like, permafree is dead. Permafree is not dead. But what happened was it got very crowded. There was a lot of other books in that free zone and um, permafree also early worked really well because a lot of people were getting Kindles for the first time and they had a Kindle and had room for 500 books on it. And they're like, well, gosh, I need to get some books on here. And so they go and download a whole bunch of free books. Now um, new people aren't really buying Kindles. There's some that are getting into Kindles, but I feel like Kindle owners exist and they're replacing their broken Kindles. Uh, but there's not a lot of growth in the overall like number of people who are reading on Kindles, at least not significantly. And so right now people already have Kindles that are full or full enough. And so the market is a little bit different in terms of free books. People aren't looking to just download dozens and dozens of free books like they were in, say, 2010. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good point, Thomas. Um, but the 99 cent price, the other thing that it becomes is an impulse buy where if you don't know that author and you're not sure, I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy this book or not. 99 cents. That's pretty easy to go. I'll take a chance on this where if the book is priced at 499 and you don't know who the author is, you're going to think about that for a little bit longer and oftentimes say, nah, I'm not going to give that a shot. So again, if you're trying, if you're just starting out and you're trying to get your name out there, that that's the objective to sell lots of books and get books in people's hands. That 99 cent price point can be the way to go for you. Thomas, what about when you want to make a lot of money? What's the price point there? So it, it depends. Uh, it depends. So, <laughs> but in general, it, it needs to be a higher price. So we're talking um, at least three ninety nine, typically uh, or more. But again, it depends on your genre. So uh, last I checked, romance is really competitive on price. And so like of all the genres, romance is one of the lowest. And so that's just something to, to keep in mind. Some um, genres are really different. Um, so some people are going $3.99. Some people are going $4.99. I, I have my book at, at $4.99. I really like that price point for my nonfiction book. Uh, but part of the strategy needs to be if you you know putting some money into the price to cover customer acquisition so a lot of authors are eating their seed corn they'll you know say they made $100 on their book last month and they are taking all 100 of those dollars and they're putting it in their personal bank account and they're buying groceries with it that's a mistake in my opinion i think that there needs to be some money set aside for acquiring the next month's readers so that doesn't have to be advertising although for a lot of authors that is advertising but it's some way of acquiring readers either buying ads on amazon or on facebook or doing some the other marketing techniques, right? Spending money on your MailChimp account, uh, spending money uh, doing uh, promotions of other kinds. And we talk about lots of different ways of promoting your book on the show. So just go back and listen to some older episodes for ideas of things to try. And again, different ideas work for different authors and for different books, but you need to be doing something to be bringing in new sales. And there has to be enough money in that price uh, to do that. So if you know three ninety nine, you don't have enough money left over to buy readers. Let's say it costs you a dollar to buy a reader. Well, if you raise your price to four ninety nine, you now have that extra dollar uh, or extra seventy cents because Amazon takes their cut uh, to uh, that gives you more room to acquire that reader. 
And the books that become really profitable are the books that are able to uh, continually acquire new readers and make money every month because there's enough money left over to buy the next month's readers with some left over. And if you want to listen, um, we interviewed Chris Fox, who that this is exactly what he does. He's spending $3,000 a month on ads uh, on Amazon because he's bringing in five or $6,000 worth of sales uh, because of um, his strategy. So we talked with him about it. We, had, we did a webinar about it. We've, we've talked about this a lot on the show, uh, but you have to have a, a higher price if you're going to advertise. If you're selling your book for 99 cents and you're making 35 cents uh, a sale because you've been dropped down to that 35% uh, royalty rate, you can't advertise for 35 cents. There's no one who's going to find you a reader uh, for 35 cents. You can't even get a click uh, for 35 cents. So even if 100% of the people who click your ads buy your book, you're still losing money at 99 cents. So keep that in mind. If you're trying to maximize profits, uh, generally speaking, you have to start exploring those higher price points. And you may find, especially if you're in nonfiction, and if you have a specific nonfiction book that answers a specific question, people are not the demand's not very elastic, right? People want to answer to that question and they'll pay 99 uh, or 9.99 for your book just as much as they'll pay 5.99. Uh, so keep in, keep in mind, a lot of authors feel like they have to always pull their prices down, but sometimes pulling your price up actually will help give you better results. So to reiterate, 70% uh, of every sale is what we get when the book is priced between two ninety nine and ninety nine ninety nine on Amazon, and thirty five percent of the sale below that. So, but that only works if you have a great cover and you have great reviews and a lot of reviews. Because if you your book is priced at five ninety nine, and somebody looks and says, "Well, they have two reviews," hmm, that's kind of a turnoff. And if the cover's not great, that's a turnoff as well. And we've talked a lot about cover on on the show and getting reviews. So that needs to be part of your strategy. Well, what if you don't have great cover and you don't have great reviews? Well, you go and you get yourself a good cover and then maybe you do run 99 cents for a short period of time to start building up those reviews. Yeah, uh, now, and I totally agree about the short period of time 99 cent deal. In fact, if you're part of KDP Select, you can do this um, in a lot of really fun ways. You can do countdown deals, you can do limited time deals. And the best way to do that is to coordinate it with a, like a BookBub or e-reader news today where they'll email out to 10,000 people or 100,000 people, hey, this book is discounted to 99 cents today only, right? So there's some urgency. Uh, it causes people to go and buy your book right now. And that can really help drive up uh, the number of reviews. And that's actually another argument for keeping your price high. So I'll, I'll explain pricing in another industry to kind of help you understand. Let's talk about apparel. If you're selling, let's say you're selling T-shirts. Okay, the cost of a T-shirt is a, about a dollar, let's say, for a store at the mall uh, to buy a T-shirt, and they're wanting to sell that T-shirt for five bucks. So what do they do? Do they put the price at five dollars? No, they put the price at twenty dollars or thirty dollars, and uh, then they let the T-shirt sit on the rack for weeks, hardly selling. And then they'll put it on sale 
for five dollars. People are like, oh my gosh, this T-shirt that remember cost them a dollar to make. It's it's on sale for five dollars, and and then but the the way the language works is that I'm saving twenty dollars on this T-shirt. <laughs> right? It says normally twenty five dollars. I'm buying it for five dollars. I'm saving twenty dollars, which by the way is false. You're not saving anything. You're spending five dollars. You have five dollars less in your bank account after buying that shirt than you did before. But the power of that anchoring and that anchoring at that higher price is so powerful of a psychological phenomenon. People really do feel like they're saving money by spending money, right? Like that's so twisted. Like the economist to me, the financial person to me is like, (laughs) that's not saving money. Saving money means not going to the mall. (laughs) It means not buying the thing that is actually saving money. Um, But people get this little mind trick where it's like, oh, wow, I'm buying it on a discount. And this is the strategy for almost every store in the mall. And it's part of the reason actually why Walmart is so competitive against the mall and how many Americans are switching uh, to shop at Walmart uh, instead and why Walmart is way more profitable than Macy's or any individual store in the mall. And often, a Wal- you know, the Walmarts in a town are more collectively profitable, potentially, than all of the malls in the town combined. And the Walmart has a different pricing strategy. Walmarts don't do sales hardly at all. They have the, you know, everyday low prices. And they're like, we don't play those games. And so their price for that $5 t-shirt is $5, right? Like, And it's always $5. And they're not trying to like get you to come in you know, on a certain time and create this frenzy. Uh, and it works for them. So I'm not saying that uh, there's only one strategy, but if you are wanting to do the price pulsing strategy where from time to time you lower the price, the higher the price was before and the higher that list price is, the more excited people get, right? People are going to get a lot more excited over an 80% discount than a 20% discount, even if, you know, the 80% discount is it was $10, now it's $2, right? Or as the 20% discount is like it was $3, now it's $2, it's still $2, but people are more excited if it came down from 10 than if it came down from three. And you can use this with your physical books. So say you have your paperback and that's priced at 10 bucks or 9.99 or 11 bucks. And then people see right next to that, the Kindle, Ooh, wow. is 3.99. They're saving that money. Psychologically, they go, Ooh, I'm going to get the Kindle instead of the, the paperback. You're still getting the money. Um, and yet they feel like they got a great deal. That's right. Now, um, another thing you want to keep in mind when it comes to discounting is its impact on your brand. So some brands never discount, right? Apple never puts their products on sale. Rolex never puts their products on sale because luxury brands don't go on sale. Uh, you know, they might do really minor subtle sales here and there, but it, you know, you're not trained to wait for the special discount to buy your Apple products. It's pretty much going to always be the same price. Uh, and this is one of the things you want to keep in mind if you're trying to build your own brand and not uh, train people to wait for the discount. So there is a little bit of game theory here. If you're always putting your books on a discount and you can train your readers to wait for that discount to come before they buy your book and you can train your readers to pay you as little as possible. So you have to be careful of that and kind of think, if I do this regularly, will it train uh, my readers to do something I don't want them to do? 
and uh, conversely, right, you, there, it's really easy to get into a price war with other authors where you're each you know, undercutting each other on prices. And as Seth Godin says, the problem with the race to the bottom is that you just might win. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're there at the bottom. Uh, although I will say uh, the only place in being the only worst place in being the cheapest option is being the second cheapest option. You never want to be the second cheapest uh, <laughs> because no one buys the second cheapest option. Either compete on quality or you want to compete on price or you want to go for a kind of value somewhere in the middle, which is a harder place to be. Uh, but no one wants to buy the second cheapest as a general rule. And the problem with going cheap is it is a hole that is extremely difficult to ever, ever get out of. And I think, Thomas, we should do a whole episode on that kind of pricing because that kind of pricing attracts – there's two different customers. There's the price customers and then there's the value customers. And that does apply to our books as well. So at some point, we should do an episode on that. And But overall, I will say right now, boy, be careful. Be careful because that's a drug that people will always want from you. They want the lowest price and they will not see you as value as much as they are. Oh, if this is a cheap read, this doesn't cost me much. And that's a dangerous position to put yourself in. Exactly. So let's say you've written 10 books and they're all priced at $2.99 and you want to write an 11th book and you want to price it at $9.99. You're going to face angry readers who are like, how dare you charge $9.99 for your book? Because in their heads, you are a discount cheap option. You're the like discount store brand is where you've positioned yourself in their head through your pricing choices. And if you had priced all your books at your 10 of your books are $9.99 and the 11th you come out and this one is $9.39 or $8.99, they're like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. What a great guy that he would do this um, and a dollar less. And they're thrilled with you if you went up from your $2.99 to $8.99. Oh, he's a thief. Why is he trying to gouge us? Right. It's always easier to lower prices than it is uh, to raise prices. So this this is why there's no one size fits all strategy because you can have there's nothing wrong being a bottom feeder, right? Like if you want to win that race to the bottom and you're creating lots of really cheap books, you can make a lot of money with that, right? Uh, and in any given market, you'll find companies that are at different price points. Uh, there's typically there's three. There's the quality, right? The Rolex, uh, where it's like best quality regardless, you know, for people who don't care. Then there's the bang for your buck in the middle. And then there's the cheapest. And there are companies that are very profitable at all three of those price points. But you want to choose. You want to know that going in. Right? You don't want to just like trip into your price area you and have chosen all right i'm going for a quality play and i know it's going to mean selling fewer copies and it's going to make mean making less money especially in the short term but i want to see people to see me as a quality um author you know a prestigious author i want to go for awards and competitions and and that's kind of the strategy that jim has used historically all right, Jim, you're traditionally published. You go after a lot of the awards and a lot of the contests, and your books typically, your ebooks especially, are uh, pricier. And uh, that's a good strategy, but it's totally different from, say, Chris Fox's strategy, who's, you right. know, his books are much cheaper and um, he's much more aggressive with the advertising. So, Thomas, um, let's give folks some specifics, some ideas on what they should price their book. You can price your book based on a combination of any of these factors, and we'll just read them to you real quick. Length, genre, marketing reasons, which we've already talked about, what other similar authors charge, and then using Amazon's suggestion on their KDB dashboard. They'll actually say, based on who you are and what this book is and the genre, we suggest you price it here. So 
one at a time, Thomas, let's talk about pricing based on length. And in general, the longer the story, the more you can charge, which makes a lot of sense. But Liv, let's give you, let's give uh, our folks some specifics on that. Thomas, flash fiction, by that I mean a thousand words or less, that's going to be priced somewhere between zero as a lost leader to 99 cents. A short, short story, say a thousand to 5,000 words, that's going to be again, anywhere from zero to 99 cents. A short story, and by that I mean 5,000 to 10,000 words, that can be priced anywhere from 99 cents to 199. And slight digression here, as you know, Thomas and I are big on writing short stories. Think about that. If you're charging 99 cents for one of your novels, or even 199 for one of your novels, you can often make the same money you'd make on a 90,000 word novel. So there's nothing wrong with writing short stories and putting them up on Amazon for sale. With regard to a novelette, which is 10 to 20,000 words, pricing can go anywhere from 199 to 399. A novella, which goes 20,000 words up to 40,000 words, typically 299 to 599. Novels, uh, and that can be 40,000 words up to say 110,000 words, anywhere from 299 to 799, as high as 999. And a lot of the traditional publishers will price their ebooks there for the set price. And then an epic novel, the, the type that Thomas loves to read, say 120,000 words plus, you can price those anywhere from 599 to 1299. And again, this is just a range. This is just a starting point. And we'll have this in the show notes for you to look at and go, okay. That's where I fall. That gives me a starting point. Thomas, what about pricing based on genre? So um, I don't want to go through all the individual genres here, but I do want to say it's really important for you to know your own genre and start paying attention to the publishers of the books uh, to get a feel for where authors like you are pricing their books. So if you're only looking at traditionally published authors for pricing information and you are independently published, you may be missing out on an opportunity because um, ebook sales are going up every year uh, according to the data that I've seen. But all of the growth has been with indies. So if you listen to the people who get their data from traditional publishers like NPD Group, they'll say ebook sales are flat or even ebook sales are down, uh, which isn't true, but it's true according to their data, which isn't giving them the whole picture. If you look at the Klytics data, if you look at other industry data, uh, it shows that ebooks are going up overall. And part of the reason why ebook sales are going up is because the indies are stealing away customers by being more competitive on pricing. And so this is your opportunity to be competitive on pricing. And you almost have to be. Uh, it's really hard to charge the same amount of money for, for an independently published book as you do for a traditionally published book. Um, just because of all the reputational factors, et cetera. But you don't have to because you're making so much more per copy. You can charge half what the trad authors are charging and still making more per copy than they are. So uh, you have a lot of room uh, to be aggressive on the pricing. Pricing based on marketing, we already talked about that pretty thoroughly. So let's move on to what other similar authors charge. This is pretty simple, but it can be real effective in helping you decide what you're going to charge. And I would go to my also bots on your page and see what else is selling? They bought your book. They also bought this book. How similar is your pricing? So you'll get a real good gauge from simply going through. If you've got one book, you're also bots for that book. But if you've got multiple books, you're going to look at the also, also bots for all of your books and start to get a real good picture. And you might do that 
you know, real simply on a graph and you'll get a feel for where you should, where you should fit in. Cause if somebody buys a book from Thomas and he and I are writing the same kind of book and my book is priced real similar to Thomas, it's almost an automatic. That's right. Uh, a few more thoughts, kind of some final tips. Um, one is I, I would encourage you to run some simple uh, month long experiments. So change the price at the beginning of the month and run it through the end of the month. And this can make it really easy for you to look at the data and see, did I make more money or less money with this different price? So in January, you were $3.99. And in February, you changed to $4.99. Did your money total money go up or go down and if it went up try raising it again right start experimenting with that price point and experimenting for you just because you heard some gurus on a podcast tell you oh 4.99 is the ideal price for a romance doesn't mean it's true and it doesn't mean it's true for you specifically and so i really encourage you if you have the ability to experiment with your pricing experiment with your pricing and find out what works and what doesn't Another thing is if you're nonfiction, we've talked all about fiction here, but we know we have a lot of nonfiction uh, listeners in general, you're going to be able to charge a little bit higher for nonfiction than you do fiction. We talked about price your physical book, uh, physical book a little higher. That'll give a contrast so people go, oh my gosh, I'm getting a great value on this ebook. And then uh, Thomas and I repeat this ad nauseum, but your backlist helps sell the front list. So the best marketing tool for your books will always be your other books. So we encourage you to keep writing and keep putting out material because those books will inform the other books. Anything else, Thomas? Um, I think that's it. If, if I could give just one tip, it is to experiment. Uh, and uh, don't put too much stock in the price that you read in that blog post about what your price should be. Uh, because realize um, if you're asking another author what your price should be, they're almost always going to say you should raise your price because it's good for you, them for you to raise your price. So think about if you're in the market and everybody else raised their price by $5, right? But you didn't. Suddenly, without you doing anything, your book is far more attractive and you're going to make more money. So, so take that into account uh, with who you're getting advice from for what your book should be priced at and, and what their motivation might be. Uh, so and, and run your own experiments. Yeah, just one more quick thought. We said this a couple of times, but we'll repeat it because it's important. Don't go into the saying, okay, I'm going to find my price, set it, then I'm done. It really is fluid and you do need to experiment and it's okay. To, you're not going to offend people where it's priced one thing one day and one one day the other. You feel like, oh, they're watching me. They're going to do that. They're not. Um, and so try it. Just try raising, try lowering and keep track of that and it, it will adjust over time. And I will tell you, I guess I should share this, what our pricing strategy was at Enclave, because uh, we had a specific pricing strategy uh, that we stuck with. We released new books at seven, I, think, I don't remember exactly what the price points were, but I think it was $7.99 or somewhere around $7.99 for the first six months. And then we lowered the price after six months to, I think, $4.99. But we never did any price promotions or discounts during the first six months. So there was this sense of, if you want to read the book when it first comes out, you have to be 
willing to pay full price. And we didn't want the people who pre-ordered the book or bought it on day one to feel like they got schnookered, right? This is like, we don't want to punish those people or make them feel it like idiots because they're our core fans. We want them to be able to bask in the glory of being the first to read the book without anything diluting that glory from coming to them. And then after a year or two, especially if a series had been completed, we would get really aggressive on the pricing on book one in the series. And in some cases, going all the way down to zero, where the book was permanently free, book one was permanently free. And sometimes we found doing that, we had so many additional sales of books two and three that not making any money on book one still made us more money overall. But it depended on the book and it depended on the series and we were measuring the whole time. So good marketing keeps track using spreadsheets. So uh, don't be afraid uh, to track it, right? <laughs> so if you're comparing January to February, make sure you're tracking it in a way where you know you're not like going from your gut. Of, like, I think I made more money. I'm not sure. Track it. That's the key. Okay, Jim, who's our featured patron? Our featured patron is Jennifer Lamont Leo with her book, You're the Cream in my coffee. And Jennifer loves all things that are vintage, especially stories that are set in the early 20th century, specifically Chicago. So she's got two books that are set in 1920s Chicago. So if you love that era and you love experimenting and traveling back in time, these are the books for you. You're the cream in my coffee and the sequel ain't misbehaving. So you can check those out on Amazon. We'll have a link in the show notes. And Jennifer, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And our sponsor today is the Rubart Writing Academy. So, James L. Rubart, would you happen to know anything about the Rubart Writing Academy? <laughs> I, I I do. I've been I've been to a couple of them, and I got to tell you, Thomas, these are utterly life changing events. So, if you're somebody where you go, "Wow, I just want my publishing career to take off," I'm a little frustrated. I'm a little confused. I would love to have a specific roadmap of what I need to do. To become a best-selling award-winning author, we would love you to come to one of our academies. And by we, I mean my son Taylor and I. We've done, gosh, we've done seven academies now. So we've got 47 students that have gone through it. And I guess the most rewarding thing, Thomas, for us is when we interview them afterwards and they consistently say, oh my gosh, I would have paid two times. I would have paid three times the amount to come to this thing. That's where we know, wow, we've, we've really... Uh, We've really helped some folks out. So we have an academy coming up October 10th through the 13th in Seattle. I fear by the time this airs, um, we'll be sold out because we only have one spot left. So I guess I should talk about the academy we're doing in Colorado Springs, which is October 31st through November 3rd. And at this point, we have four spots taken. We have six left. So we would love to have you come join us in Colorado Springs. You can go to Rubart Writing Academy dot com for all the info and we'll also have a link in the show notes we'd love it if you joined us it's very intimate we do it in a home so it's it's just the perfect atmosphere to take your writing career to the next level and if my audio sounds a little bit different uh, today, it's because I'm recording from the beach. <laughs> so I'm at a family uh, reunion uh, right now. So there's over 40 umstats. There are 
uh, Umstad affiliates, which is <laughs> a lot wow. of Umstads. Um, um, uh, <laughs> Umstad affiliates. And we took uh, our daughter, our uh, nine-month-old daughter, down to the beach for the first time, and she loved it. Uh, she, unfortunately, though, really likes eating sand. <laughs> She'll reach down and grab a whole handful of sand and shove it into her mouth. <laughs> oh, like, she's no, a real baby. I love it. And um, <laughs> apparently it is basically impossible to get sand out of the mouth of a baby <laughs> once it gets there. So uh, she is enjoying eating the beach and looking at the seagulls. And uh, so anyway, if the, our, my audio will be back next week, back to normal audio. You still sound beautiful to us, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> You've been gleaning wisdom, we hope, from James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing, offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you so much for listening.